0: Welcome to Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing. I'm film critic Gary Cogill, and today I look at four new films, all of them, I think Oscar-caliber. Hidden Figures, it's the true story of a group of female African-American mathematicians who helped NASA put a man into space back in the 1960s. And Sing, it's a new animated hit musical featuring the voices of Matthew McConaughey. He plays a koala bear. And Tori Kelly as a shy elephant with a great singing voice. Also, The Very Serious Lion, it's a true story of loss and adoption starring Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. And finally, A Monster Calls, with Liam Neeson as the monster, who arrives at the bedroom window of a little boy in emotional trouble.
1: And I'm wine expert Haley Hamilton-Hogill. I'll pair two of the four films this week. First, for hidden figures, Nicholas J. Wines in Willamette Valley and their associate winemaker, Tracy Kendall. She's considered a rising star in Willamette and making really, really special wines. Also, with Lion this week, Hickenbotham Wines in Australia. It's from the McLaren Vale region. They're doing some incredible, incredible things with a really historic vineyard. So, I can't wait to talk about that. But first, Gary.
0: Okay, let's talk about this movie called Hidden Figures. And I have to say, Haley, the more I think about this movie, the better it gets. And that doesn't happen very often. And on the surface, Hidden Figures looks like a formula movie. And I'm going to say that it kind of is. But it I had no idea these women existed. I had no idea the story existed. In fact, it kind of made you a little bit mad.
1: Well, th- I think that that's what was so exciting, is to learn the story of these incredible women that that have played such important roles in our history that, I mean, it's taken until now to to get these stories out. And granted, it was... The 60s. And so, you know, it's not like it was 1860, but, but it's still too long to not, to not have had their story told, I think.
0: And it's a really important story. And it's also, uh, it's not just a story of uh, racial prejudice, not, it's not just uh, a civil rights movement. Movie. It's really about women in the workplace, Mm -hmm. just in general, back in the time when men ruled everything Everything. and white men ruled everything. So you have Taraja P. Henson, who we think, I think, is the best thing I've ever seen her do. We don't watch her all the time on TV. And I
1: kind of have a new respect for her. Totally. Yeah. I think she's great in this.
0: Octavia Spencer, who can do no wrong. Always, And Janelle Monae, they play, and they call them human computers back then because this is, they're in the early days of developing the first computers. Yeah. And so while NASA's but developing but you had to
1: be that's the beauty of you know when you start breaking down how we get words in our in mm-hmm. our language what what did these women do they computed numbers all day and now we yep. have a now they're now that's electronical it's what we do on our on our smartphones instead of even on computers these right. days, but that's you know if you look at at the basis there were there were women in offices that computed numbers all day.
0: Yeah, and they said, "Get me a computer." Yes, they like, meant
1: I'm your new computer. They
0: meant bring Tarasha P Henson <laughs> yes. down the hallway, bring Octavia Spencer uh, down the room, and so they call and so they had a, had a very large group of African American brainiacs. There were all these women who were brainiacs in math, and they. They kind of had them in their own building and set mm-hmm. aside, and when they needed information, they would go get it from them. But they never mingled. And so Kevin Costner runs this NASA um, think tank in vir- dominated in Virginia, <laughs> and he's perfect for yeah. this. Because he's really good, because you're sympathetic towards him, because yeah. he's kind of that guy. And also, his character doesn't care about racism. His he's character, just trying to get
1: the job done. He
0: wants John Glenn to go up and yeah. orbit and come back safely, and he'll do whatever it takes to do that. So... So, in, in some ways, it takes them a while and some motivation to get in their favor. But, you know, there's no restrooms for them, well, but segregated coffee pots.
1: Obviously, this story was told um, about these three women um, being African-American and, and their story. But, but then it just kind of makes me wonder, like, is there, was there also a group of, of, of white women in an office down the hall that were also computers? I mean, we didn't, because even yeah, the, no, no. the African-American women and the white Women didn't.
0: No, they didn't mingle. In mingle, fact, yeah. in, in the film, and I'm just going by the film. You know, they the, the the white women who were in authority figures, working for Costner and mm-hmm. the other people mm-hmm. were were not very nice. Ooh. You know, uh, in fact, uh, not very nice at all. Mm-hmm. And also, there was no advancement for these women. They couldn't get bonuses. They couldn't. They, they couldn't even they
1: couldn't, get a college education. <laughs> they couldn't even get a, gla- a cup of coffee.
0: <laughs> and the coolest thing is, they're already the smartest people in, in the, the room, room. and yes. so uh, they're really important. And there's that really great scene where John Glenn comes in and visits all of them, mm-hmm. and he goes out of the line and goes down to all of the African-American group of women who are huddled over in the corner on the tarmac. Excited
1: and, to and, meet the astronauts. And yeah. greets
0: them and says, what's your role in this? Man, we need you. you know? Yeah, and thank you. Yeah, it's a very cool thing. So it's directed by Theodore Melfi. He did this that little Bill Murray movie called St. Vincent, which is a good little movie. And But Pharrell Williams produces this film mm-hmm. and with his goofy hat, which I like. Mm-hmm. And did the music for it. Uh, in fact, he, he's been a little controversy lately, not him, but there's a gospel artist, Kim Burrell, who sings one of the big songs in the movie. And she's a pastor of a church in Houston who's very anti-gay. And it's been all over the news lately. So they're going to have to figure all that stuff out. But mm-hmm. I think as this film goes wide this weekend, um, this is the big hit. This is a movie that's going to make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's not going to overtake Star Wars probably. But it's cross-cultural and it's smart and it's, it's just so good about – it's kind of the nuts and bolts about what really happened. And it's emotional and you really like these women. Yeah. And you're going to see a really cool part by – I want to say his name right – Marshallah Ali, mm-hmm. who's the guy that's kind of the front runner to win the Oscar for supporting actor for oh, yeah. Moonlight. Yeah. Yeah. He it pla- was
1: Remy in House of Cards. Yeah. He's
0: a military <laughs> guy in this them. who kind of has a little romance with yeah. Taraja B. Henson. So I, P. Henson. And so I, by the way, this director uh, who directed this film, Theodore Melfi, uh, is already directed a film that he's uh, posting right now in 2017. Called Going in Style, it's with Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine, and Alan Arkin. That Zach Braff directed, and hmm. this guy just wrote it. And oh, so, nice! Yeah, he's got some stuff. He's he's kind of making a big name right now. But I'm a big fan of Hidden Figures. Yeah, I, I think the film works. I think it works on multiple levels, and it does. It celebrates women, and it celebrates them, I think, for the right reasons. Because, man, these, these women were smart, and they were interesting, and they were really strong in their field.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's interesting. So, I kind of, in thinking of, of what the perfect pairing for this film would be, I I did have the fact that this is a very strong female um, film mm-hmm. and so I, I am kind of celebrating a, a young female winemaker but I almost want to take the the um, the perspective of celebrating her as an associate winemaker instead of as a woman obviously she's a woman and she is yeah. considered kind of one of the, the rising stars for Willamette which is very exciting but often I think in in so many in so many scenarios and so many jobs and so many um, workplace, uh, you know, Kevin Kevin Costner got the credit for getting all of this all of this together, but it was the team behind him that actually made it happen. With these women, yeah, being, he didn't do
0: it by himself. Exactly,
1: being yeah. being and and so to it, often in in wineries, you have a similar circumstance where you might have a consulting winemaker, you might have a head winemaker, but there's obviously a team behind them. And so Tracy Kendall joined Nicholas J. Um, with their inaugural vintage just a couple years ago, um, in 2014, as their associate winemaker, and she um, had a, she's from Seattle, kind of fell in love with wine. Uh, we had a chance to meet her on our, our recent trip up to Willamette Valley, and and kind of learned her craft um, working throughout Washington, New Zealand. Um, in uh, she had worked a harvest at Torrey Moore, another favorite Willamette winery, uh, Willamette Valley wineries that we love. And then, uh, went to work at, at Adelsheim, which we have talked, uh, we talk a lot about Adelsheim because it is one of our favorites, but joined, um, winemaker David Page at Adelsheim and, and, kind of learned from him, uh, worked as their enologist and, and learned her craft, um, more so. And then when, when this brand new winery, which is a pretty cool winery, they make, they make a big Pinot Noir. It's, it is kind of one of those steakhouse Pinot Noirs because it's, it's definitely a, a big, robust,
0: Can we call it a big, fat Pinot? It's
1: a big, fat Pinot. Um, But this new winery that was formed in 2014, Nicholas Shea, was formed by Jay uh, Boberg and just incredible Burgundy uh, winemaker, John Jean, uh John Nicholas Mayo and and Jay Bower kind of this cool rock executive music executive he was one of the guys that kind of put the roots on the map and No seriously and before that the he, roots, he the roots the best band on television <laughs> and helped um kind of uh with the go-go's and R.E.M. and I think he was like part of like blink-182 he
0: He was he, a big R.E.M. He, guy. He's a
1: big yeah. music guy that has now turned into this winery owner and so um, he's still, you know, kind of back and forth between um, music land and Wineland. land. Um, Jean Nicholas is is back and forth between Willamette Valley and France, and so day to day operations are handled by by Tracy. And it's it's she's definitely. Um, I think sometimes when you think of an associate winemaker, they are, are is this person. Really, part of the team, or are they just, you know, kind of, kind of hanging out and, and watching barrels, or are they actually doing the work? And yeah. and and she is in there. That she is as much. The the three of them are making all of these decisions. And so I think um, that one, it's it's kind of that's the approach that. When I think of Willamette Valley in general, it's a very inclusive um, region. That 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 whole one succeed, we all succeed. And yeah, so, if you're they're a part all for of, each other, yeah. If you're part of the team, you're really part of the team. Um, and 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 she's just a delight. And I think it's it's very exciting to see uh see see what some of these new wineries that are coming online in in regions that we love are what'd you doing?
0: take away from meeting her and talking with her
1: i just i thought she i i was so it was i i get very excited to see young female winemakers that are so focused and and gracious you know she knows where she came from and then is excited to see what her future will bring um, I think that she has a lot of drive and a lot of determination. I think she's still kind of trying to break out of some of her own. Uh, she, she's. They make their wine right now at Adelsheim. That's. Um, they, they've kind of worked out a deal to kind of use a part of their cellar, and so I've kind of felt like she's still, um, she's still in a place that. That she was, where she was in a, an early part of her career, and now I kind of want her to 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 break out. And yeah, she's and, still in
0: the same building,
1: right? so to have, um, <laughs> but and,
0: she knows how it all works but she's, there.
1: Exactly. So there's comfort in in and knowing uh, how you know where the lights are. Yeah. <laughs> but there's also. Um, I, I'm excited to see where where you know working with this winery. It was uh, one of the top 100 wines of of the year, Wine Spectator this year.
0: Oh, that's a big deal! It's a
1: huge deal. And and again, it's they're making big. they're it's I sometimes think of, of David Page's wines and Adelsheim's wines as as very uh, maybe a little bit softer, not quite as as in your face. And whereas I I think this Nicholas J has a lot more. Um, mm-hmm kind of robust um, body and tannin and, and intensity, and, and they're still very, very young. So I think that that's also a thing as they kind of find their way in, in developing their own vineyards and that sort of thing.
0: And just but. meeting her and talking with her and watching you, you know, get that high-level talk of wine. <laughs> we call it high-level geek talk. Yeah. we It eventually boils down to eating dirt and talking about soil and stuff. But she she will eventually have her she will eventually do her own line
1: well, and I don't know i mean that's what's also kind of cool because she does have so much freedom you know the 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 team jean uh, uh, uh the the nicholas j team jay mm-hmm. and and Jean nicholas have given her so much freedom that it's as much a, of an expression of her as the two of them right so it's you know this is this is an exciting thing
0: i um, i think i i i i was fascinated by her yeah. And she and for her age, yeah, she's because, you know she she's young,
1: she's dynamic. Well, she's and done so much. There's kind of a cool thing also. She sadly won't be here, but Jay is actually um going to be in town. The uh, sixty Willamette Vi- Valley winemakers are going to be in Dallas. So anybody who's in Dallas that loves Pinot Noir, the there's a great the Willamette Valley Vintners are putting on a, a fantastic event on January 24th called Pinot in the City at the Westin Downtown, and it's a big grand tasting, and a, you know. Like Roland Souls is going to be here, Dave Page with Adelsheim is going to be here. It's it's a pretty fun event and it's a pretty um, reasonably cost event. So we'll have a link on our um, up on the on our website too. All
0: those Pinots in Dallas, and
1: it's just like a big you know um, you can just get wow. into to, to Pinot Heaven. Can we just call
0: it Pinot Palooza now? We
1: certainly love yes, but in that whole. Um, jay's music background i think that's a perfect segue into talking about sing
0: well sing's sing was a, a colleague of mine called it an animal jukebox movie and i think that's the best descriptor of it it's got over 60 plus cover songs from rap wow. to pop to opera it's, what was
1: the music rights on that
0: I, I don't know i looked at that and i went because i think they started with about over 80 85 wow. songs and you know it's it's thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the rights to them. But this film is a runaway hit. We'll get to that in a second. But McConaughey plays a koala bear. He's an agent. He, he talks a lot. He has an old rundown <laughs> theater. He puts on a contest. So all these, it's not unlike American Idol or, in, or the voice. And so all these animals come, uh, of course in these movies, all the animals talk and sing. That's and, cute. and they all come in audition and they're really good. And it narrows it down to five of them. A mouse, an elephant, a pig, a gorilla, and a punk rock porcupine. And they're all waiting for their big debut on the big stage. And so they go, they follow their personal lives where they go. And it's the voices of Reese Witherspoon and Seth MacFarlane and John C. Riley and Scarlett Johansson and the great Tori Kelly. And it's, it's kind of a funny, fast-paced, really goofy, a lot of Hollywood insights, jokes. And for a kid's film, there's only one flatulence joke. Oh. Only one. <laughs> Usually there's about five yes, there or six. Are. But if you're going to have, you know, a gorilla and a punk rock porcupine and a pig and an elephant— I gotta have one of them. This film has gone through the roof. It's already made, uh, I think I checked even just this morning. It's, it's close to 190 million. Wow. In in two weeks. Wow. It's, it's over 300 million worldwide. It costs 75 million to make. So that'll tell you a little bit. You do the math, you know, with the rights of the music and getting it done. Is it the animated movie of the year? No, but it's a blast to watch. Is it going to be Oscar nominated? I don't know. It's, it,
1: Make you it, dance in your seat?
0: Yes, and I think the last kind of 30 minutes is what you wait for, the big American Idol. Yeah. Where they all, ha- they all sing one song all was the way there through. A,
1: was there any original... Was there an original song in it? I don't
0: remember one original okay. song. They're yeah. all singing covers. Yeah, and you'll hear a lot of the uh, and a lot of the covers are sung like Stevie Wonder has a song, in, but he sings it. But it, you know, yeah. you just hear it in the background. Yeah. So th- think about this before we go to break. Animated movies this last year in 2016, they were number two, number three, number four, and number five wow. in worldwide box office. So here's the numbers. And number one, of course, was Captain America. You can uh, Civil War. You can call that slightly animated, but right. not really. But Finding Dory was two, made over a billion. Wow. Zootopia is just over a billion. The Jungle Book, which is one of our favorite films, yeah. which is live action and animation, 966 million worldwide. And number five, shocks me, The Secret Life of Pets. This is out of all the movies released. Right. Worldwide has done a $875 million. So I think Sing's gonna, Singh's gonna get there in the half billion. On upwards to their so quick. So these
1: numbers. It's, if anybody says nobody's going to movies. <laughs> uh, no,
0: they're, <laughs> they're going. And they go with their kids because there's not enough out there for them. And mm. they latch on to just about every one of them. And if they're good to great, they'll make a ton of money. If they're really bad or mean spirited, they usually don't. Right. But there's a formula now. I think animation's actually in a heyday right now of doing, doing great I things. think Disney and, and Pixar and these people are all doing good stuff. So. Yeah. It's exciting. Hey, when we come back on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing, two more films that made us feel and really made us think. One of them is called A Monster Calls with Liam Neeson. And, of course, the much-celebrated film called Lion with Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman. And we will be right back. And we are back on Wine and Film A Perfect Pairing. We're talking movies and wine and two things that make our world go round. <laughs> don't they at home?
1: It's the only thing that. And can I just ask yes. you a
0: personal question? In, in our lives and in our marriage, uh, how many days go by without wine? Well, On the average?
1: I don't think there's a single day that goes by without wine. Sometimes when we
0: get overloaded, we'll take a day off. <laughs> and then we go,
1: hey, do you just want
0: like one well, little glass?
1: Because I think that we drink, we don't drink wine. We don't drink. We don't drink we aren't people that drink alcohol to get drunk. Right. I, I genuinely love the experience of of tasting wine and the flavors that we're completely digressing now. But there's something really special, I think. And then when you pair it with food, that's what's, that, that's, the, that's how wine is meant to be drunk. And then when you pair it with a great film, well, you know, well, I mean, that's a perfect pairing.
0: That is true. Let's <laughs> <So, laughs> so, talk about this film, Line. We've both seen it together. It's Dev Patel. It's Rooney Morrow. Uh, uh, an we actress love. we love. Yeah. Uh, the kid is named Sonny Pawar. Who is who's that little kid is so great. And yeah. then that's Nicole Kidman. It's directed by a first time director. He's never made a movie before. His name's Garth Davis. I want to call him Garth Brooks, but it's not. No. It's Garth yeah. Davis. Davis. It's based on a nonfiction book written by a woman named, uh, uh named Saru Briarley. Or I'm sorry, it's about a guy. Not a, it's a guy that wrote the book, but his name is Saru from India, and it's about his own experience. And I never read the book, but the book has become quite famous, and the movies helped it a lot. But at the age of five, he was separated from his brother at a train station in India, and at some point, the little boy crawls on an abandoned train, goes to sleep, and wakes up 1,600 kilometers away in Calcutta. And you don't want to be a five-year-old on the streets of Calcutta. No. And he lives there as an orphan, and he has no idea where he is. He didn't didn't know how close or how far he is from his family. And he loves his mother, and he loves his brother. And, of course, they're all going crazy trying to find him.
1: Well, and if if it's ever a time to teach your children their address, (laughs) let them know where they live.
0: And, well, at this point, your Google address, because at at one point, he goes into an orphanage. He has these all these unfortunate things that happen to him. And, he, by the way, he's dirt poor when he's— lost anyway. Mm -hmm. He just has nothing. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is adopted by an Australian couple who were going over there and grabbing couples and he's raised as an Australian Mm -hmm. with an adopted brother. And next thing you know, he's in his 20s, 25, 30 years old. He gets on Google Earth and he starts remembering where he grew up and what it looked like, but he doesn't know where it is. And he narrows it down by Google Earth by looking at the landscape and figures out, I think I'm from this little village. Mm -hmm. And spends half the film Trying, trying to find, to find himself it. and mm-hmm. trying to find his brother and his mother.
1: Well, yeah. and and to try to to separate himself from from this rather privileged, you know, I don't know if they were middle middle class or upper class, but they yeah. it was definitely a much better um, circumstance than if he had probably stayed home. So you have your you have your Australian mother that has taken and your family has taken very good care of you. And
0: she's great. Nicole Kidman is great in this. Is home.
1: great, but then you also are longing to know to to find your family and find where you came from. And I think
0: he has a lot of guilt.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think he has
0: a lot of guilt because he realized he was raised and 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 but he left a life that he only has small memories of because it happened at five. And it was those mm-hmm. memories were really tough. Mm-hmm. and he any any he, and he, he anxiety he has great anxiety for the his brother and his mother and his family because they know he knows they're grieving mm-hmm. because they just he just disappeared out of the blue. I think this has a great music score. I think it's a top ten film i I, I look back at this film and I think after you do the top five or six movies of the year, you can put twenty films in there,
1: mm-hmm. and this is one of them. I, and Depatel is really great. Depatell's really yeah. good in this. He's grown so much. I he's think
0: he's a really interesting actor. You know, we all kind of discovered him on what um, Slumdog, Slumdog Millionaire, mm-hmm. and uh, and and he's also a real likable actor. But he's become a real serious actor as a. As, you know, I want to call him a young man, but I I think he's good. And his girlfriend is Rooney Mara.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They meet in college because he gets to go to university. Yeah. And I think she's one of the most interesting actors in the world. This is not the part that makes you know. Yeah, flies she off the pop screen pop out her. as much,
1: but she's great. But what
0: did we love her in Carol?
1: She was in Carol last year, and she yes.
0: Was she? Was her? What was her name? Therese
1: <laughs> Therese. <laughs> Therese. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Blanchett. When was Kate great, Blanchett <laughs> smokes carol. that
0: cigarette in Carol and looks across and says
1: <laughs> Therese Belivet Therese. <laughs> <laughs> and blows a little
0: smoke, it's just it's great stuff. So I'm I'm a big fan of Lyon. I, I think it has a chance to get nominated for best picture if they're going to go seven or eight or mm-hmm. nine or 10 films. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it has a chance of winning, but I think it, I think it's an important film to see. It also, without giving anything away, has a euphoric, great ending. Mm-hmm. It has something that doesn't happen in movies very often. Mm-hmm. It happened in The Queen of Katwe, mm-hmm. where you just kind of see what's going on in real life and it's enough to celebrate mm-hmm. with all these tough, difficult movies out there. Manchester by the Sea, Fences, oh, and, I mean, they're all, they're hard. Um, This has a really cool, unexpected right. ending. Right, right. I just, I, I celebrate it. I love the music of it. I think it's a really, really good film. So, we celebrate in that sense, and I love the Australian couple in here, because mm. Nicole Kidman serves the film and not herself. She's not a movie star in this film. She's got a weird yeah, really wig weird. on. <laughs> She's kind of a 50s, 60s, mm-hmm. 70s, and... uh but she really loves this kid, yeah, as her mother.
1: And seeing it, I think seeing some of the landscapes of you see a lot of of the landscapes of India as well as a lot of the landscapes of Australia, which made me think mm-hmm. of great vineyards in Australia. And so I'm going to take us to the Higginbotham Clarendon Vineyard, the Clarendon and McLaren Vale, and and the Clarendon area was first planted in 1858. It was some of the some of the first area settlers in this area of McLaren Vale. Um, planted vines, as many many settlers did, but this place is is pretty unique. It's it's on the edge of the Adelaide foothills, um, northern uh, kind of a northern sub uh, region uh, that of McLaren Vale or is uh located eight hundred and twenty feet above sea level. So you get um, hot days, cool nights, the perfect kind of conditions for growing. Um, fruit that has both a nice juiciness as well as great acidity because that coolness and the the cool temperatures at night make sure that the wine stay nice and fresh and some great acidity. Um, in 1971, Alan Higginbotham planted a, a vineyard, the Clarendon Vineyard, on this same area and um, kind of in a time where, where people could use irrigation, he decided to do a completely dry grown Cabernet Sauvignon as well as Shiraz on the sloping site. It's a 200 acre vineyard, um, and some of the best wines from Australia have have sourced fruit from this vineyard, including Penfolds Grange. Yeah, which, which is great. Is consistently a hundred point wines. When you first
0: introduced in- me to Higginbotham, I had no idea.
1: Well, and it's and now I know yes, and it's, because
0: it's just great wine. And
1: I think that that's because often you don't see um, vineyard like in a grange, you don't see vineyard what the vineyard is that that comes from or that the fruit comes from. But um, a few years ago, the Jackson family uh, wines purchased this particular vineyard, and with winemaker Charlie Sepplett, Sipel, um, sorry, that is Australian and they're full-time as well as one of our favorites, Chris Carpenter, who like is lot. the winemaker for La Coya as well as Cardinal and Napa Valley. Wow. Um, with these great, you know, he does he does amazing things with Napa Valley Valley um, mountain fruit, like their Howl Mountain that we also love, the La Um Really beautiful wines they're doing this now in Australia. And their inaugural vintage was just a couple years ago under the um, Hickenbotham Clarendon Vineyard name, uh, 2012, that was a Cab Shiraz blend um, called The Peak. Um, but I'm kind of a fan of, of Chris's 100% Cabernet that they call Truman. It's I just think that, that Chris has such a gifted He's just such a gifted winemaker that allows the story of the vineyard to really come through in the wines and and you get that in cardinal you really get that in his single mountain vineyard uh, la coya wines like the the mount Veter and and how It's mountain. pretty
0: pricey stuff isn't it
1: Um yeah the the Hickenbotham wines I think it's about 100 whereas your la coya okay. is going to be like 300 your cardinal's about 250 um, I'll choose so, the 100 Well and it's but it's also you know I think that australia australian wines went through such a boom that it was almost kind of like they had a Merlot effect where they went through such a boom that everybody started planting fruit that then wines just got... Kind of very uh, muted, and and this, the special ones are still there, but it's now kind yeah. of finding them, and and so it's exciting to see Jackson Family and their kind of upper tier Spire Collection, which also is the home of Verite and Arconum and some of the other wines we've talked about um, on the show. I, I'm such a and Graham Moraine and and Xena, like all of these great wineries that Jackson Family has has found that uh, they allow these wineries to kind of celebrate. Who they are and and remain really true to to their personal stories and and the 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 wines that they you know had always been making but now kind of almost with a, an elevated experience and I love that now Chris gets to kind of be a a, a, a two hemisphere winemaker so yeah. going back and forth to Australia good well on him I'm, eh yeah exactly so
0: I'm, there's a theme and I've I've learned so much about wine from you just being married to you and on this show but but I hear a theme. You know, eight hundred twenty feet on a uh-huh. slope. Uh, the ocean is nearby. Fog rolls over. Yes. It's uh, it cools off at some point. It's
1: hot during the day. Hot cool during at night. the day, but it
0: cools off. Mm-hmm. That's that's a common theme in wine growing areas all over the world, mm-hmm. especially in America mm-hmm. and and also Australia
1: and and all over Europe. And exactly, you've got to have we. We were with a winemaker not too long, or a winery owner that that. Kind of debunked some of the beliefs of classic terroir and I, I I was just so kind of surprised because I from from what I've learned and traveling and and drinking and drinking and studying and that you have to have all of these different elements. You have to have good sloping soils. you have to have you have to have the ability to to ripen fruit hot you know hot days with lots of sunshine. And then cool nights to make sure that your acidity stays nice and fresh. And higher elevations also um, help with that—that um, that kind of ensuring that you have bright acidity. I'm and,
0: fascinated by slopes.
1: And and you're yes. and and then you've got to have great soil, and you have to have have you know well draining soils, and you have to have nutrient. You have to have soils that won't grow anything else because you don't want to you give your give your grapes too many nutrients. Yeah. They the roots, you know, roots need to go deep. So it's it, it's all of those wonderful factors that in the end make really really great wines that you can you can think about all those things or just open the bottle and enjoy a glass.
0: So roots need to go deep. Yes. That's the theme in a Monster calls.
1: <laughs> it is. Because
0: the monster played by Liam Neeson, this is based on a very popular children's book. I don't know if this is a children's film or an adult film. It's PG-13. It's mm-hmm. not PG. And it's difficult because it's about a difficult subject, but right. also the monster is a tree, mm-hmm. and he grows up the hill out the window of a little boy in England mm-hmm. who uh his mother has cancer, mm-hmm. and he's trying to deal with it. She's alive, and they talk, and... She's trying to help him deal it, and he's trying to deal with it, and he gets bullied at school, and he's being very private, but he has a lot of anger inside of him, mm-hmm. and he's and he's not really letting it out very well, and he's also an artist, and his mother's an artist, mm-hmm. and so there's a lot of watercolor in it, and all of a sudden, that monster just uproots and starts walking towards right. the house, greets him in the window, and confronts him. And it becomes a. a and starts a, telling. And it's telling stories. Telling
1: stories. Exactly. And stories
0: that kind of bring out what the boy is mm-hmm. going through or what he should think about. Uh, it's Liam Neeson is the monster. It's Felicity Jones. Where do we know her from? She
1: was just in Rogue One. <laughs> she was in Rogue
0: One. She's not Felicity Huffman. She's Felicity Jones. Sigourney Weaver is the grandmother. Mm-hmm. And Lewis McDougall is great as the 13 year old boy. His name is Connor O'Malley. And the stories are told by the giant, and then the stories are animated. So you have this live action, kind of like Jungle Book, and then a family, and then an, a, an animated um, monster. And then the stories are animated in watercolor, and they're they're quite beautiful. Um, the interesting thing about—it's directed by a guy from Spain. His name is J.A. Uh, Bayona, and he did that film called The Impossible— about the tsunami with Naomi Watts and Ewan McGregor. Mm -hmm. I think that's a very powerful film. Mm -hmm. I think this guy makes good films. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a story by uh, Siobhan Dowd, who was fighting terminal cancer when she started the book, and she died before she finished writing the book. And so somebody in the group that she was a part of stepped forward. His name is Patrick Ness, who also wrote the screenplay, and finished the book for her. Mm -hmm. And, And here's a quote from Patrick Ness as... As, uh, the, the woman who started the story died, he said she had the characters. She had a premise. She had a beginning. What she didn't have, unfortunately, was time. Hmm. And so this, this story and the lineage of the story is this animation. It's, it's also about grief and it's also about dealing with grief and it's honest. And I think it's a really, really good film. And the more I think about this film, a monster calls, the better it's get. It's gotten slammed by some press here and really? there. Yeah, because they th- they don't know... And
1: I, they don't know what to do with I, it.
0: I'm, I'm not here to critique other critics, yeah. but um, some movies aren't just spoon-fed to you.
1: They're not your friend.
0: And they're not your friend, yeah. and they're not your buddy or your pal, because if you're going to talk about grief mm-hmm. from a 13-year-old boy's point of view, he's not five, he's 13, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be complicated and well, darker.
1: Exactly. Well, and I just to... to Look at the film, to see the film. I, I think, you know, we were just a, a few, you know, 15 minutes into it, and you made a comment of how, how, when you kind of look at animation, it's not animation, I mean, it's definitely yeah. real life, but you, you do go into these stories and, um, and that it's all done in watercolor, and you usually don't see kind of watercolor.
0: Don't um, see watercolor in animation it, hardly ever.
1: And it did have. I mean, it kind of reminded me a little bit of kind of like some of the Hobbit kind of. Yeah, it did. The, when you when the monster started telling his stories, like you kind of mm-hmm. um, some of of that kind of uh, thought and storytelling. I thought it was it was kind of interesting. But it's a really it's a very hard film, but it's also a really beautiful film. Just to just the. The layout of it, mm-hmm. the the cinematography of it. I think what
0: happens with the little boy and his relationship with his mother and with the giant and with his grandmother, it ends up being honest and really mm-hmm. kind of beautiful. It's so hard. It's kind mm-hmm. of a satisfying film. I also think it's a great music score. Mm-hmm. And if this music score gets nominated for an Oscar, I'd I'd be really really happy. It's just in a, in, in a year of movies where a lot of them are difficult. It's going to get lost a little bit mm-hmm. because it's not sing. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't Is grab your kids and <laughs> you go to the happy musical. And I want you to, but if you've got the right kid and you can do this and you can do it as an adult, I would go see mm-hmm. a monster Call. it's good mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So next. That was fun. Yeah, it was really fun talking about this stuff. You know, it, the parade of good movies continues. Yeah. So next week on wine and film, a perfect pairing. Three more Oscar-contending so films. so many
1: good films this they're, year. And they're arriving
0: late because the rule is that you have to come out in, in in by the end of the calendar year in New York or L.A. And they're just arriving in most theaters now. Uh, one of them is called Live by Night. It's written and directed by Ben Affleck. It's a very good film. And Patriot's Day, starring Mark Wahlberg as a Boston cop. Working during the marathon bombings. And this one is directed by Peter Berg and he's very good. And it's a good film. It's a great film. And then I can't wait next week to talk about Silence, Martin Scorsese's remarkable film about suffering for your faith. We don't get movies like this, yeah. this challenging very often.
1: That'll be wow. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Me too. Um, We have a pretty special, if, if there is anybody in Dallas also that we've got a pretty fun, as we continue to talk about all of our Oscar. Yeah, come join us. um, We are doing a special kind of Oscars 2017 preview event with the Dallas Arboretum on January 26th. Uh, Gary will review some of the top nominees. I'll pair with a few of the key categories, so we'll have some tasty wines. They've got a fantastic big screen that we'll be able to show trailers and... It's a fantastic them. venue. Yeah, kind of have yes. our discussion, and we'd love for you to join us. We'll have a link on our website, or you can go to the thedallasarboretum.org for uh, tickets on their website. It's it's going to be pretty fun, but um, for now, be sure to follow Gary on Twitter at Gary Cogill, and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Dallas uncorked.
0: And with that, I'm Gary Cogill, always in search of a great film.
1: I'm Haley Hamilton Cogill, always in search of a great glass of wine.
0: Join us next time on Wine and Film, A Perfect Pairing.